Welcome to People's Town Hall's Virtual Town Hall audio series. Our virtual town halls with lawmakers and other community leaders now available in an easy audio-only format for your flexible listening needs. People's Town Hall is only possible because of support from Americans like you, who believe our democracy is stronger when elected leaders take the time to meet with and listen to the people they work for, their constituents. Find out more and lend your support to People's Town Hall at peoplestownhall.org. Thank you. Nathan, thank you so much. Big hello to all of Oregon's veterans. Let's just make sure we got the technology down right because we're going to be listening to Oregon veterans over the next 90 minutes. Can all of you hear me and uh, hear Nathan at this point? All right. Yes. So here's how we arrived at the effort that we're launching today. This is going to be the first of three town hall meetings for Oregon veterans. So we can hear from our veterans, get at the bottom of what has been concerning them. I want everybody to know that the way this came about is I've had something like 1,020 town hall meetings in every corner of Oregon over the years. And one of the most important ever was held in Legrand a few weeks ago. And the veterans who participated were particularly troubled about what they felt was the direct touch that's so important for veterans' health care was just getting away from the rural part of the state. And they got the feeling, well, it's just going to be telemedicine or something like that. But direct touch health services for veterans would just get further and further away. And they were already facing challenges in the winter and with driving and, uh, and the like. And so as a result of that concern, I said, I'm going to follow up. And I contacted Dr. Teresa Boyd, the Vision 20 director. Doctor, I think you're with us already as well. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Good morning. Thank you very much. I'd like our guests to know that Dr. Boyd was very, very responsive. I called, expressed the concerns I just heard in LeGrand, and Dr. Boyd said that she would participate personally in all three of the town meetings that are starting today. And I believe we also have Dr. Scott, uh, Mr. Scott Kelter, Walla Walla VAMC director, uh, and he, too, was very responsive. Mr. Kelter, are you out there? Yes, good morning, Senator Wyden. Thank you very much. So the veterans who are participating should know that when your concerns were made at that LeGrand Town meeting, and uh, it was certainly uh, very uh, strongly felt, I reached out to Dr. Boyd and Mr. Kelter, and both of them agreed essentially right away to these three town hall meetings where we're going to listen to you. So I want to thank them. And I'm just going to take a quick minute and talk about what this is really all about. I've already mentioned how this came about with 
being in Eastern Oregon and hearing firsthand from veterans their concerns. Uh, and I'm just going to touch on a couple of quick points. And then uh, Nathan Williams, who has done a tremendous job opening up the digital doors of government to communities with People's Town Hall. When I'm done with these very brief remarks, Nathan will go to veterans' questions, questions submitted in writing. There's some people who, as we all know, are kind of reluctant to uh, speak out. But what we'll do is after these short comments, Nathan will, and he's going to do this for all three of the town hall meetings we're going to have with veterans, he will make sure that those questions get asked. Here's what the concerns came down to in LaGrande when the veterans spoke to me. They are troubled by a whirlwind of hasty changes involving a new electronic health record system, delays in delivery of care, and recommendations to move VA care further away from Eastern Oregon. In a sentence, what they're raising is the concept of an unacceptable combination of changes that would unfairly undercut the health care our veterans have earned here at home in Oregon and Eastern Oregon with their service to our country. Here are the concerns briefly. First, the new electronic health record called Cerner. The switch has led to technology issues placing a heavy burden on healthcare staff to navigate. These concerns aren't limited to Eastern Oregon. I'm hearing similar concerns about this system in Southern Oregon facilities in Roseburg and White City. So I intend to watchdog carefully how the new electronic health record works. My office will be open to veterans to share their concerns about reduction to these healthcare services. Second concern that I was told about in the grand is delay of services, whether that's veterans getting an x-ray or getting their travel costs reimbursed. Part of that is related to staff being stretched thin. This has got to get fixed. Rural veterans can't wait three to six months in pain before getting the care they deserve. The third concern is VA recommendations, as I've touched on, to move services further away from Eastern Oregon unfairly making it harder for rural veterans to receive the care they need. I've been concerned that rural Eastern Oregon veterans didn't get enough of a voice in these changes. And it just looks like we got an answer to how are these changes in the interests of veterans health care? Because it looks to me like some short-sighted cost-cutting, Downside, downsizing the VA Medical Center in Walla Walla and moving the 31-bed residential Rehab uh, program 180 miles further north to Spokane would add miles and heartache for Eastern Oregon veterans already trekking across state lines for their care. So end of my comments. Uh, and this is time now for Nathan to open up the floor to veterans. We've got a lot of time, range an hour and a half. And the goal is to make sure that the veterans are heard and they can cut through the haze and the chatter and make sure their voices are uh, paid attention to. And we can look at ways to improve access to the essential health care that our oh. veterans have earned through their service to our nation. 
Nathan, thank you again for your good work. I understand that you're going to handle um, the arrangements for uh, individual veterans to ask their questions now. And then you got some questions of sort of come in from people who are reluctant to speak out. And let's go to your running the program. Terrific. Yes. And by, and by the way, in, in case folks are, are interested, I am sitting at my dining room table in Southeast Portland, and I'm going to be listening carefully to everybody's comments and may have a question or two along the way. But this is time for veterans to be heard. Terrific. Thank you, Senator. And yes, we opened up this conversation to veterans, families of veterans, and uh, Oregonians who work in veteran services. Uh, we have uh, a handful of folks here live asking questions, and we also received uh, uh, quite a few uh, written questions, uh, some anonymously, uh, that we are going to read on their behalf. Uh, so first up, uh, we have Ken in Union County. Hi there. Uh, my question that I sent in was, why does it take so long for our veterans to get responses from the care in the community, the travel pay, and through the phone system. Uh, just to break these down, the care in the community, if and when you call in, can take you staying on the line up to 20 to 30 minutes before somebody can answer. And when I, the last time I called in there, I was talking to a gentleman and he explained to me that one of the problems is that there's supposed to be like 67 people working the phones there, and they only have half that staff. And that is causing them problems because they're overloaded. Well, if you only got 50% of the people there, then they're doing twice the amount of work they should have to do. But for the veteran to have to wait 20 to 30 minutes for someone to pick up the phone, and it's not like... I can hang up and call back later because if I do, I got the same problem. And then uh, the other, the travel pay. I'm not sure about. We used to have where we walk up to a window with a voucher and they paid us right then. Now it's taken, they're working now somewhere around July or August of last year trying to get the travel pay caught up. Again, it, a lack of personnel if we had more people working in the travel pay area. The phone system, th this phone system has caused us great problems. We uh, here in LeGrand, uh, we used to be able to call directly into the CBOC and talk to the front desk and be able to you know, arrange an appointment and so forth. Then they took that away and put us uh, uh, in a call center in Walla Walla. And at that time, some of the messages that, that you call in and the operator would take a message and that message would not get sent back to the CBOC like it was supposed to. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I did not get callbacks like I was supposed to get callbacks just because of the way the phone system works. And now my understanding, and I might be wrong about this, but I don't believe so, that the Walla Walla Center is not just doing like the, the grand CBOC that is doing a greater area of uh, for people to call in and the, the amount of time it takes uh i haven't had this happen but i've uh, it was explained to me one time let me let me back up just a second i am the chair for the veteran advisory council out of the the grand CBOC. and so a lot of things come up in these meetings monthly meetings 
And one of the, when they were talking about the phone service, uh, I, it was explained to me that when you call in, they might say you're calling number two and you're waiting and all of a sudden you're calling number 10. You never know. Then it goes back maybe to call number three. There's something wrong with the phone system there. Then along with what Senator Wyden brought up about the new software program, the old program allowed the doctors to classify a request in P1, 2, 3, and 4. And I can't remember exactly the order of those, but now in the new system, there's only two ways of classifying something. And that it, I don't know if, how it's going to affect, but it definitely is going to affect us. Those are my concerns. Do I have a response from anyone? Yes. Uh, thanks for the question, Ken. Um, uh, Director Kelter or Dr. Boyd, did you want to address? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to take this opportunity to thank you for that information. Um, I, like Senator Wyden, feel like that I can do, we can collectively do our job better if we hear from you. So I really thank you. I was taking notes, even though I'm told that we're going to have a a list of all of these later, but it's an old, old habit. So, but I do want to turn this over to Mr. Kelter as being the medical center director specifically in, in, in your area. And he would be more involved and has some very specifics um, that, that we can discuss and also a way forward. So thank you for that. Mr. Kelter. Yeah, thank you, Ken, for, uh, for the questions, the background information. I'm, uh, I'm very, um, very conscious of the concerns that you that you have, and I appreciate you bringing some of them forward. And some of them are um, maybe uh, detailed in terms of, uh, for instance, the uh, changing from caller number two to caller number ten. Um, I don't know if we have somebody here that's able to speak to the the technical issue that is going on there, but I will definitely look into that one. Um, you're correct, and uh, the feedback that you've heard from staff is that uh, primarily uh, most of our delays are based on uh, staffing. Um, we have been trying every hiring, pardon me, <clears throat> every uh, hiring flexibility that is available to, uh, to try to recruit staff, and we are uh, recruiting staff, but at the same time, uh, we have the challenge of the, um, just like we're doing this town hall virtually today, instead of meeting in person, uh, the world has created that opportunity for a lot of employment. And so that's, an, that's the next step that we're, uh, that we're trying to do is start starting to recruit some of those positions to work virtually. So instead of just recruiting in our own area, uh, that will give us the ability to recruit staff from across the country. Uh, but again, we're all competing for the same uh, pool of uh, workforce. And uh, so we'll continue to do everything that we can and try to be more creative and more flexible in terms of uh, how we bring staff on, uh, how we bring them in to ensure that they're trained, um, that they provide the same quality of service that we expect, and that, uh, you know, if they choose to live somewhere else, then perhaps they uh, they have that opportunity as soon as we uh, have, have completed that training or get them to the point where they're able to do that uh, in a virtual setting rather than uh, working on 
one of our campuses. Um, so in terms of time delay, uh, you're, you're correct. That's uh, very much the, the case is that, uh, you know, we, we continue to, to turn over staff. And in some cases, um, that's because they grow within the organization. And in some cases, uh, it, it's simply the, the challenges of a, a competitive market where um, everybody's trying to recruit staff for similar jobs. And uh, VA is, uh, is, is never going to be the, uh, the very highest payer in the community, we try to be competitive. Um, but we, uh, we often have private sector companies that have a, uh, a budget that uh, gives them the opportunity to offer uh, something that we might not. We try to be competitive with benefits and flexible work schedules and everything else that we can uh, to try to bring those staff on. Um, and and the, the benefits of uh, working for the VA and the, or uh, anybody in the federal sector are, are very good employee benefits. And so uh, we're doing what we can to try to recruit those staff. Um, but in care in the community, uh, and in travel. Uh, in terms of travel, both uh, uh, our, our staffing has been pretty good. Uh, we have uh, some changes within the system from our uh, old claims process, so manual claims process, um, to a, an automated system, uh, beneficiary travel. Uh, it's BTSSS. Uh, it's our, mm -hmm. that was implemented about a year and a half to two years ago. Um, it has yeah, I use that myself. Okay. And, and can you tell me what your experience has been with, with that system? Has it has that been any better? Well, for myself, it took a long time, not a long time, quite a while for me to understand exactly how to fill out the forms and, and submit them. But once I had that, it's very simple. Uh, but it's, it's automated as far as getting the record in. I mean, I can go to the doctor today and have, uh, put in my travel pay today. But that is not the time it's taken for them to process that and, and get the checks paid out, that, that's what the problem is within travel pay. They're, they're way behind. It is not just Walla Walla. It is throughout the United States. All, all locations are having problems with travel pay from what I've, I've picked up from different people. But the only talk point, about the community. The only point, Mr. Kelter, because our veteran has been talking about a crucial issue is the Grand Seabock told us that payment through Walla Walla is taking a lot longer than a number of the other uh, areas in the region. So if you could tell us how that would get sped up. And I remember in 2015, there was an option for cash payment at a VA facility. If you could touch on how long it is going to take to get this veteran um, is is travel pay and whether cash payment is uh, still out there, I think that would be helpful to know too. Sure thing. We uh, and thank you for that clarification. We uh, we had our our travel uh, office staffing uh, for a while and uh, and we, uh, caught up to to some degree. Um, we have the that same staff. Uh, we have some of them dedicated to catching up on the oldest claims and working from the, the backwards, uh, from the back forward. Uh, we have some working ambulance claims uh, to avoid uh, those claims, which would be the biggest burden on a veteran if not resolved quickly. Um, 
and we are trying to increase that staffing and also integrate our uh, our beneficiary travel staffing in Walla Walla with those in Spokane. So if anybody, um, you know, that, that increases our pool to be able to recruit and also have um, a, a wider range of staff able to uh, work on those claims. So if one station is better able, e either station is uh, able to recruit those staff, um, then, then they'd be able to increase the overall capacity between uh, Eastern Washington uh, states and the surrounding area. Um, so it's the same staff working those claims for uh, for veterans in uh, Eastern Oregon, uh, as well as the rest of our area. Um, in terms of a, a timeline, again, I know we, we made quite a bit of progress and, and then that's, uh, you know, we kind of went back to uh, a, an area where uh, we, we have kind of stayed at the same level. <clears throat> Um, and the ability to to catch up on that again is uh, is based on either either staffing or uh, somebody else having the capacity to offer that staff or us having the ability to uh, to contract that function out. Um, which again, we're trying to explore uh, things where where the current solution isn't working. What else can we do to uh, to find another solution that will? Obviously, that will be at a, a higher cost to to do that. Um, but we are committed to getting those claims down and especially um, both the regular uh, beneficiary travel claims and the uh, emergency services and ambulance uh, travel claims. If, if I can bring, uh, bring up another, not another issue, but go back to the community care with the staffing that you have right now. I have a veteran in my VFW post here who back in January was referred to get new shoes and inserts for his neuropathy that he has. And at, as of last week, what he called in, the, the order is there, it's been okay, it, but it is, has never been sent off to the uh, uh, medical center for him to get the shoes is still sitting in community care. Someone is, you know, is, is dropping the ball there. And that happens more than one time for us. Uh, but you were talking about, we were talking about the staffing in my uh, last meeting I had in April at the CBOC, we, we got talking about staffing and I don't know if this is a, a correct question or uh, I'd like to know if you could answer it. Says, unfortunately, vacancies cannot be advertised to refill until that person has already left. Is that true? Like, if one of our doctors leaves, you can't post the position until after he leaves. That's not quite accurate. Um, we we have the ability to uh, to start recruiting uh, when we as soon as we are certain that somebody is leaving. Um, we don't have to wait until they have left, and uh, and we don't. Okay. Um, we we sometimes have uh, staff that uh, say they're going to transfer or retire, and then don't. Um, so we want to wait until we at least have some degree of certainty that uh, that they are, and that we don't aren't going to end up um, with with more staff than we need in in some cases. Uh, but for instance, if 
if we already have um, a vacancy in a primary care provider uh, and we find out and we're already recruiting for that vacancy um, and we find out that another one is planning to leave, we'll start trying to recruit too at that time. Um, so uh, we can utilize one advertisement that may already be in progress to fill more than one vacancy. Um, we also, if we didn't have one already, uh, again, as soon as we, uh, we are reasonably sure that that person uh, has other plans, uh, we can start recruiting at that point in time. Okay, uh, my last comment, and I'm, let somebody else step in. Again, at the Legrand Seabock, they needed a registered nurse. And it's taken almost six months for that position to be filled. And then even after it's filled, there's like another month for them to learn the system. Is there any way of cutting down that time period it takes to hire someone? Because if I was out looking for a job, and I, well, it'd be six months before we get you, you know, through all the process that we have to do. I'm not going to take that job. I'll find something else. So is there any way of cutting that six months down? Absolutely. Um, so uh, let me answer that question, Ken, and then go back uh, briefly to touch on one point on your question about uh, beneficiary travel claims. For the uh, registered nurses in particular, uh, that's been one area where uh, we've found that uh, recruiting is challenging across the board. And the length of time that it takes to bring somebody on board is a factor in that. Uh, we have tried offering uh, additional incentives for nurses that are willing to come on board quicker. Um, in most cases, they have not accepted that incentive because often they are uh, planning on a certain duration or a, a certain time period when they expect to be able to move, et cetera. Um, we have cut through some of the um, the process in terms of the things that were required to do before somebody comes on board. And now we're and they, now we have essentially changed that process to only require a few of the essential uh, factors, um, you know, fingerprints, background check, et cetera. Um, and some of the follow on uh, testing that used to be required before hiring we're now doing that after the person comes on board. And so if we, if we bring a nurse on board, we want to make sure first that day one, that we feel that that person is safe to, uh, to come in contact with our veterans and doesn't have malpractice claims or anything else against them. Um, and then uh, if, if they fail to meet some of those other criteria um, after they came on board, then we would have to uh, let them go from the service at that point. Uh, but we are taking uh, proactive steps to bring nurses in particular and some other occupations on board uh, with fewer of the steps completed than we used to. Uh, but our bottom line is we need to make sure at least uh, on day one that we can let that person uh, have access to our systems and, uh, and entrust them with the safety of our veterans. Um, to go back quickly to uh, the beneficiary travel claims, um, I, I appreciate you kind of sharing your experience uh, with the beneficiary travel, the BTSSS system. Um, the more we can do to encourage veterans to utilize that system, um, I know it is an initial uh, change 
for many, but we're still getting a lot of paper claims. Um, and so the combination of the continued paper claims, as well as uh, some of the the performance issues uh, associated with that system. And it, it has not, um, it has made some aspects of processing claims easier, but not uh, as much as we had uh, expected. So it's still more work for the staff than it was supposed to be. Um, but the combination of those two things are continuing to contribute to uh, how long it takes to process claims. But the more we can encourage veterans to use the automated system I believe the faster we'll be able to process those claims. Well, that, that is a true statement very much, but I could also, uh, with a couple of veterans that I have at the VFW post here, they're not computer literate. They don't even know how to do emails. I mean, you got a lot of other older veterans that just do not have computers and, and do that type of work. So you're going to constantly have the paper trail. We, we understand that. Um, and, and we certainly do still accommodate that through the paper claims process. Um, but again, it's a transition and it, it will take a couple of years. It, it may take several years, but the more veterans we can uh, have using that system, um, obviously the, the more that contributes to some efficiencies. Correct. Okay. I, give up my time to the next person. All right. Thank you, Ken. Thanks so much. Thank Ken. you. Uh, next up, we have Shanna in Umatilla County. Um, that's a lot. I mean, I really appreciate Ken's insight on that. Um, I'll tell you, I am not a veteran. Uh, my father is, and he lives with us. So part of my communication, why uh, I submitted my comment was because you know, there are a lot of issues that we've been finding being new into this process um, and trying to help my dad through it. It's exactly what Ken had said was, you know, he's not someone that can, you know, go on the computer. He doesn't have a computer. He might have a smartphone, but even trying to navigate that is difficult. He has some disabilities where he can't um, hear. So when he is, you know, trying to get a hold of someone, he really um, hear. Sorry, my computer's telling me I have issues. Can you hear me? Yeah, you, you can hear you, you now. Broke up for a moment, but you're you're doing good now. <laughs> okay, we also live in very rural Eastern Oregon, so that's our service provider as well. <laughs> you're 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 frozen yeah, you, again. You froze again, but I, I think we got you. You might you might try <laughs> uh, turning your video off, Shanna. And that might make your audio a little less broken. Great. Okay. Uh, and so. Part of what we've been struggling with, like I said, my dad, um, he can't hear well. We actually started this process with the VA before COVID and have just now been able to get him appointment, which is still not until the end of July. Um, he, you know, he has hearing aids. So when he's going to some of these appointments, he has to have someone that comes with him because he can't either understand everything they're saying because he's not hearing it accurately. Um, and it's he hasn't actually physically... He hasn't been able to get in to a provider. Um, and I I also work at a rural health clinic, so I understand some of the issues that you guys have talked about. Um, staffing shortages are a huge thing, especially in our rural area. Um, and I will tell you, people we have been able to talk to have been very helpful. Um, our county veteran service officer has been amazing. Uh, you know, and my dad can go in and talk to him and speak um, 
you know, he'll write it down for him so he can understand it. So we do really appreciate that. Um, our struggle is moving any of these services um, to Spokane. We're already driving almost two hours round trip to get him seen um, to providers in Walla Walla. Um, I, I don't know about the payment system. I'm sure we could set them up on that. But, you know, someone with a fixed income, that's very difficult to be spending that uh, money that is, you know, fuel money, very expensive at this point um, to be not paid back in a timely fashion. So that's a concern for us as well. Um, you know, telehealth options are not an option for him. Um, he, you know, like I said, he can't hear it. I mean, it, until that gets fixed, which obviously, like I said, we've been, we've been at this for almost three years trying to get this figured out for him. And that's been uh, really frustrating. So it, it also comes back to, you know, taking the time off, whether it's just going to Walla Walla or having to drive to Spokane. I also have a family that I'm raising. So if someone has to accompany him and I'm the only one that's doing that, there's got to be um, some better alternatives. I can't spend, you know, a whole day away going to Spokane and back and all that expenses and also, you know, trying to take care of my family and rearrange everything for that. Um, so I think we have a lot of those situations in, you know, our rural area where we have our, our families living with us or very close where they need that extra help and, you know, just moving that one step further away, making another obstacle and already a, an issue world where there's, you know, a lot of layers to get through. It's just making that more difficult. So kind of, you know, I guess, I guess not really questions, but just some comments to think about of, you know, extra burden on these families and these veterans that have already given a whole lot to our country that, you know, it, and I understand it's not a fair world, but adding these extra obstacles to um, these families is just not, not acceptable to be able to move it back much farther away. Thank you for that, Shanna, and, and for being there for your dad. Um, I have uh, I have um, aunts and uncles that are uh, veterans that I'm uh, tracking through their uh, advanced care and end-of-life care. Um, I'm a veteran myself, and my son and my daughter-in-law are both active duty right now, so um, I'm very interested in uh, the access to care for, for veterans in all uh, stages of their care through VA. Um, when uh, you talk a couple of your dad's challenges, uh, I appreciate uh, what he's going through. Um, I'm very curious about the uh, inability to, uh, to be able to get into uh, see a provider or why that's taken so long. Um, I don't want to uh, necessarily, I don't want to uh, cover anything in the public forum here that might, um, you know, that might not be appropriate to, to share about your dad specifically or the type of care uh, that he's, he's seeking. Um, but we would be glad to follow up to find out what's going on uh, or, or why it took so long to get an appointment and why he can't be, uh, uh, wasn't able to be seen sooner. Um, in terms of the visits themselves, um, one thing that I want to mention, uh, since you said uh -huh. he has trouble sometimes uh, hearing uh, being discussed and, and therefore uh, might not remember everything uh, in terms of uh, being able to uh, think about the care that was recommended, uh, the, the program of care that the doctor uh, or provider advised. Um, so one thing I'd like you to be aware of is that 
Uh, he has the right um, or the person that's there with him at the appointment has the right to uh, record um, the appointment so that he can listen to that later uh, and review that later and, and remember what was discussed. Uh, so that's always an option for you. Um, and in terms of uh, having to go to Spokane, uh, that would not be our intention at all. Um, if he's already coming to Walla Walla, uh, the services that are available there are going to continue to be there for quite some time. We don't have any uh, firm plans um, regarding that. We have. Uh, we also have uh, the option of purchasing care in the community if there's a better option closer to where he is. Um, we certainly wouldn't have uh, want to necessitate him uh, traveling to Spokane, um, unless of course there is some uh, specialty care that is is not available here or in your area, um, and then we would seek to, uh, to to offer that care within our network. And so whether um, <clears throat> that would be, you know, at a, at a secondary or tertiary level hospital within our network, we would try to do that. Um, and depending on uh, your father's travel eligibility, uh, that may not be at any expense to him at all. Um, but we certainly want to provide the care as close to uh, home as possible. Thank you. That's, you know, that's great information. And I know, um, you know, Linda and Kathleen both put their information on there and I will definitely reach out. Um, and I appreciate the option, you know, to kind of voice somebody's concerns. It's um, something where, you know, he's not confident in doing these things. So I'm happy to help with him. But it's honest, it's been a struggle to get it done. Uh, and, you know, part of it, I get it, COVID. Like I said, I work in a rural health clinic. Um, it, it is a struggle with staffing and the time management and just being able to, you know, have the access to all these patients. It's really hard. Um, we service a very unique um, set of clientele, and so I, I do get it, but it it doesn't make it any easier. It does help me empathize with our patients as well because I understand the struggles that are here, um, and I appreciate, I guess, you guys all trying to work on the solutions. So um, with him specifically, you know, that's great to be able to record it there and that there's that option. Um, no one has told us about that at all. So, of you know, being able to record the conversations or, you know, even if he's there on his, if he has to be there on his own, where I can help him understand that when he gets home as well. So that is very helpful. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Great. Well, thanks for uh, raising these issues, Shanna. Uh, next up, we have uh, Krissa, who is the clinic manager in LeGrand. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. I think this is very important for our veterans to be able to ask these questions that they have concerns about. It was hard for me to come down to one question. <laughs> um, so I did my best. Um, this question actually is a combined question from multiple veterans in the community as long as well as the staff at the Legrand Seabock. So I figured this would be a good one to go with. 
Um, back in October of 2020, we went live at Man Grand Staff VA Medical Center in Spokane with a $16 billion contract. During this go live, issues discovered were including but not limited to the following scheduling issues, medication reconciliation and safety issues, data migration, lab orders disappearing, patient flag failures to transfer related to suicide risk, outages forcing halt of operations, inadequate staff training and support. So my question is this, why would we continue to roll out with an already unreliable electronic health record that will affect more veterans instead of correcting the issues prior to moving forward? Well, thank you, Krissa. Um, I will take the, the first uh, stab at that. And then, of course, Mr. Kelter can follow up with um, the experience at Walla, at, at Walla Walla, per se. So as you know, Spokane went live some time back. Then we had a time um, nationally at an enterprise level where we were able to really pick away and get down to the lessons learned and how to proceed. Since that time, Walla Walla, and Mr. Kelter can talk about that, but it sounds like you, you know, you're probably experiencing that as well, but he can talk about really how those lessons learned were applied at the deployment at Walla Walla and what worked well and what we still need to work on. And since that time also, the record has gone live at Columbus, Ohio. And so even then, even more improvement, more, uh, more that went well, um, and then coming up later this month, um, we're in the process now down to, well, in fact, a week from today, we'll go live in White City and Roseburg as well. So just a couple of things. Um, yeah, Spokane was a rough ride. That was really a rough ride. Um, I was, I, I still had a foot in central office at the time in, in my prior role. And then coming out here, um, yeah, it was the initial operating site, right? It was the capabilities and didn't really expect it to go well. I mean, to go perfectly, right? But there were a lot of things that came to light. Um, so we talk about a lot of, you know, like patient safety issues, staff concerns, a lot of extra work, re, um, duplicative, at, you know, efforts as well. And it, it, in the long haul, you're right. We want it to be streamlined and a click and play and, a lot like what, and I'm a provider. I, I haven't seen patients in, in quite some time, but in the VA system, I got kind of used to having CPRS, let me tell you. Um, I could customize it and it could be what I needed for, my, for me and how I dealt with my patients, right? Um, so this is a change and change is really hard. It's really hard. And I don't, I am not gonna sugarcoat that one at all. Um, it, it, it is a tough one. And Vision 20, um, Vision 20 meaning it's the four states, right? Um, but we are at the at the at the tip of the spear there, and and I can tell you that being it rolled out in Walla Walla, and then coming up soon in White City and Roseburg, I couldn't ask where I sit for a better group of staff to really dig in, you know, find out what's working well, and then raise your hand when when something still needs to be fixed or tweaked, if you will, um, and our training gets improved. Um, it's more what we need, right? But at the end of the day, I know that staff, and I maybe I'm a little biased, um, but being a former active you know, physician in the VA system, 
you can't ask for better staff and more focused staff, more dedicated staff to say, regardless of what goes on in the record. And I got to say, Vista and CKRS went down. And some, there were some issues there too. But regardless, we still took care of that patient, right? And so that's, I feel very comfortable that regardless of what anybody throws at us, you guys are going to take care of the patient. And at, because that's the, that's the thing in, in, in front of you right then. You're going to take care of Shanna's um, father. Um, so with that said, I would like to ask, um, let Mr. Kelter go on and talk about some of the things that went well. Um, I wasn't surprised that you and that the rest of the staff did very well. Um, but I don't want to take the, you know, take all the good points that I know he's going to talk about. So I'll pass it on to Mr. Kelter. And if there's anything still lingering, I'll be glad to get back on. Mr. Kelter. Sure. Thanks, Dr. Boyd. Um, and, and yes, I'll, I'll take a minute to, uh, to brag on the Walla Walla staff, um, you know, throughout our, our system. And I don't just mean Walla Walla, but our, our system uh, from LaGrand to, uh, to Yakima to Lewiston. Um, we, our staff have taken on um, a, a, strong, a huge learning curve, um, a new system that we were aware of a lot of the things uh, that were challenging in Spokane. We were aware of uh, many of the things, hundreds of things that had been improved since Spokane deployed uh, in terms of, of actual incremental changes, uh, over 2,000. Um, we had um, a lot of information about the things that had been corrected and the things that still remained. And, and part of that is not just that the issues had not been identified, but that it's a lengthy process to correct those or to uh, seek for the system to work in the way that we would like it to. And in some cases, we need to recognize that the, the new system isn't going to work the same way as the old system and just uh, learn how to use it as it's designed, not the way we want it to. Uh, in some cases, the new system really doesn't meet uh, our expectations and we need to work through uh, the VA and DOD national uh, office because the system um, belongs to the two departments together and advocate for those changes. And, and that takes quite a bit of time. Um, so we know that some of the changes that we've requested are still in process. And we know that even uh, we found things that even after 18 months, Spokane had not identified. And even after we had dug into the system for a month, um, Columbus, Ohio, uh, raised some things that we had not. And so it's going to continue to improve. This is, it's a 10 year long, essentially uh, 10 year rollout process. And, you know, based on experience with other systems, um, other healthcare organizations going through an electronic health record change, even there, there aren't any systems that have gone through and, and not had uh, these types of bumps in the road. Um, the bottom line is that our, our legacy system, FIST and CPRS, we're no longer going to be able to be supported. And so it was a necessary change to modernize and use a new platform uh, to take us into a new era of technology. Um, and so the more we can continue to be proactive, uh, despite the frustrations that some of the staff are experiencing, the, the quicker we're going to get that system to where uh, it needs to be. 
we have found many areas uh, like the lab, for example, where the system is enabling things that we never had, uh, enabling interfaces. Um, and I think many departments are finding uh, opportunities and efficiencies that uh, Cerner presents that are better than what we had. And uh, we recognize that there are some areas that are going to continue to be difficult for our staff and continue to be a burden on the, the VA as a whole uh, because the network, uh, Vision 20, and outside of our network are continuing to support our resources to help manage some of those challenges. Mr. Mr. Kelter, just a, a question. How is this new system, the Cerner, impacting Chris's work? Thank you, Senator. Um, our, our staff, uh, including staff at the Legrand Seabach, um, two of the areas that are particularly uh, being challenged by additional work uh, include the, the pharmacy process and the community care process. Those are probably the two biggest where additional steps, additional uh, mouse clicks have been added uh, and manual verification has been added uh, where our previous system might have had internal processes built into that. Um, so I guess the bottom line is it, it adds time to make sure that the process is still being done safely and correctly. And so that additional workload is a burden until we can get uh, the Cerner system uh, programmed to better meet our needs. Krista, did you have any uh, follow-up you'd like to add? Sorry, trying to figure out my Zoom here. <laughs> All good. Um, no, I appreciate the feedback. Um, I will definitely take this back to the other employees at the CBOC. Um, I am I'm aware I've been through a few EHR system rollouts in my career, and I'm aware that there are, you know, some hiccups that happen in the road. Uh, my biggest concern, and I know the concerns of the providers and other staff at the CBOC, is um, we don't we don't want to see this affect more veterans than it has. And so, and we're we're working diligently to try to um, correct issues that come to us personally as fast as we can. Um, I know we've addressed the staffing issue and we do have that at the CBOC and, and I'm working on that. Um, but no, I, I really appreciate the time for letting me ask that uh, important question. So thank you. Thank you. Could I interject one thing? Please do. I'd like you to invite you to our next uh, Veteran Advisory Council it's next Tuesday at uh, 10 o'clock at the CBOC. If you can make it, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, well, thanks. I would be happy to. Thank you. Thanks, Krista. Uh, so next up, we have a question uh, from Matt, who is here on the call but is unable uh, to ask the question uh, himself right now. Uh, Matt is a veteran and a 100% service-connected uh, quadriplegic. Uh, the question is directed to you, Senator Wyden, and Matt asks about the Air Commission uh, and would like you to comment on the program and confirm uh, you will make sure it progresses <coughs> in a good way. 
and and uh, Dr. Boyden and Mr. Kelter, you're welcome to weigh in as well. I I think there's a lot to be learned about this, you know, air commission. And what I'm mostly concerned about is that there'd be these very dramatic, you know, changes in a very short period of time. I mean, we're looking at three issues. VA restructuring proposes service cuts, Walla Walla's VAMC March 2022 proposal to the the Air Commission to cut local services to Eastern Oregon vets, move more services to areas with higher density of, of veterans. I mean, we could spend, you know, hours and hours just talking about how the Mission Act, the Asset and Infrastructure Review Commission, the Air Com- Commission um, all play out in you know, I just am trying to figure out whether this is somehow a do-over of recommendations made by the VA back in 06 to turn the Walla Walla campus into a big Seabock. And I'd like to think in 2022 we're better than that. And that's what I think these three town meetings, I don't want to emphasize folks, we're just getting started here. This is the first of three. I really appreciate Dr. Boyd, Mr. Kelter saying we'll have three important concerns as we talk through what it means and how you can weigh in. And, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned that when I hear about restructuring and service cuts and the problems of the electronic health record system and hiring healthcare delays that we've heard about, whatever it is, over the last 45 minutes or so, we really ought to be very careful about addressing the issues the veterans are talking about in a way that meets their their needs. So I, I intend to really watchdog this whole effort uh, to uh, handle these issues in a responsible way. I understand State Rep Bobby Levy is watching as well. I want to say thanks to her for paying attention. I know she's been interested in uh, in these uh, issues, but I, uh, I'm i glad the, the veteran that uh, you recognized, uh, uh, Nathan, is getting the chance to air his, his concerns. And I, I intend to watchdog this process very, very carefully because, you know, I'm a big fan of all the technology, folks. I wrote a number of those um, laws, but I don't think technology and the direct touch that our veterans are talking about here are mutually exclusive. We need to do both and we need to do them right. So I really appreciate the the question on the uh, Air Commission. We'll watchdog it uh, closely in addition to Bobby Levy um, watching uh, my understanding is Commissioner John Schaefer is also very interested in helping the veterans on this as well. So you got you got a lot of folks, you know, who are following this, and it's high time. I mean, this is long overdue. Rural Oregon has a very high percentage of veterans, veterans who've made an extraordinary contribution uh, to the country, and so this is going to be hands-on. 
and uh, we're going to stay with it until there's accountability and veterans get uh, what uh, they need. So, doc, Dr. Boyd, um, why don't you give us your take about the Air Commission as well? And uh, um, also, uh, we want to make sure that veterans can give their input on these um, recommendations. Dr. Boyd, I'm looking at you, and I appreciate your um, following through, as I indicated earlyer. Dr. Boyd. Thank you, Senator Wyden. Yes, uh, this is a very timely and very important topic of important question uh, voiced by uh, Matt. So, so thank you, Matt, and thank you for your service. Um, so, a couple of things, and I'm and I'm asking, and I'm I'm actually uh, this is a plea from I know Mr. Kelter and myself as well, and any of us in in, in the leadership and the oversight um, and the, in the healthcare delivery. Actually, all of our four statutory missions that that we um, are entrusted with, we need to hear your voice. And there's a couple of ways to, to do that. Um, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Um, I was actually, as I mentioned, I was in, in central office when we were tasked by the Mission Act as a, as a department to undergo this look, you know, to prepare recommendations for the secretary to look at. And then he made his final recommendations to the Air Commission. Before that time happened that the secretary was final with his recommendations to the Air Commission, I actually had the, the great honor, um, it's a humbling privilege to be able to facilitate many listening sessions with a wide, a wide um, geographic range of veteran input, as well as veteran service organizations, both nationally and in the field. And that helped form what the work group put together as, as options, as ideas, and you know, looking at all the data, at, et cetera. But the voice from the veterans was absolutely paramount. And it figured in greatly with our final recommendations as a group into the secretary for his consideration. Well, if you missed that point, if you missed that time and that opportunity, guess what? You have several things now that you, you can do. One is happening today where I sit, I can hear this, and I have continued work with the department as well on these. But more importantly, the, um, the final recommendations from the secretary were actually put into the federal register and that, that is open for public comment. So those of you, please go in, read the sections. I'm sure you've probably read them, but add some comments, please do. Um, the other thing is that if this proceeds as it's supposed to, according to the Mission Act specifically, the Air Commission will have a certain period of time with which to look at all of these recommendations, take into account public comment, i.e. all the veterans' voices, so please do that. But at that time, the Air Commission, before they send their recommendations up or down into the president, there'll be a, an opportunity, the Air Commissioners will actually be out into the field maybe virtually, maybe boots on the ground. To, once again, do those listening sessions, get the feedback. So your voice is paramount. So you, um, so please do not forget that. Um, don't assume that, that it's too late. It is not too late. So get that out there. Um, the last thing that I wanna mention, then I'll let Mr. Kelter bring it more closely in, into home, is that these recommendations are simply recommendations right now. 
there's a huge long process that this must go through and it's very prescriptive within the Mission Act itself. If, let's just assume that the recommendations are mulled over a bit, maybe they're slightly changed, the president approves them, they go to Congress and they're saying, okay, the, the gavel ends and they're enacted, right? We're looking at years before implementation, years. So, and before they're implemented, Mr. Kelter and myself and others at the medical centers that are affected in any way, and I mean in a positive way, I, I look at the whole restructuring quite, quite uh, positive, um, but before that happens, there'll be other implementation, other uh, listening sessions to say, this is what we have now in our hands and to implement this, we need your input. So there's gonna be, Senator, there will be just, just steps and steps along the way for more input. So I, I encourage all of you, Ken, Shauna, Krissa, Matt, you know, anyone, you know, that have that voice, it's gonna take all of us to come to what looks like a good implementation plan for whatever those final recommendations are that are codified, approved by the president and then by Congress. So, but we're still looking at years and years away. Doc, doc, Dr. Boyd, thank, thank you. Can you give a link to the comment uh, section? Do you have that there with you? I don't have it with me, but if it's within the federal register, I'm going to ask my my um, executive assistant, Ms. Crowley, to actually find that and put that into the chat or get it to to your folks, sir, if that's okay. Yeah. So we can let, 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 let's do that. And I appreciate your saying it because I think a lot of our vets there in rural Oregon do not have access to the federal yeah. register. Okay, right. great. That's, Thank you. Okay. That's very, very important. Voice is so important. So, so we will do that. Um, so, Mr. Kelter, we want to bring this kind of closer to home. Thanks, Dr. Boyd. And, and Matt, I love the way you uh, phrased the question. Essentially, how do we take the recommendations to the Air Commission and make sure they result in a positive way? Um, and, and Senator Wyden, I think your, uh, your take on that was, was spot on in terms of how do we balance the use of technology to improve where we can and the use of face-to-face, uh, in-person contact uh, when we can. One thing I want to say about the Air Commission process as a whole um, is that it doesn't take the place of smart operational decisions in the field. And we have an ongoing strategic capital investment process that we go through on a, an annual basis to look at where to um, invest in new facilities, what facilities need to be replaced, what needs to be increased. And, um, and so this doesn't take the place of that. And again, at this point, the recommendations, and so they're, they're not uh, trumping uh, the decisions that we uh, make to provide the best care that we can for veterans right now. Um, and ultimately, uh, when those recommendations either come to fruition or are changed or modified or, or disagreed with, um, you know, we don't know what the outcome of, of that will be. What we, uh, what we do know is that uh, we are currently looking at a few things that I think will, uh, will impact veterans in Eastern Oregon. Um, we are, we've reevaluated and are, uh, have started in the recruitment process to change our staffing model at uh, the Boardman and Enterprise uh, primary care telehealth outpatient clinics, um, where the focus for those in the past has 
pretty much been strictly primary care. We're looking at how do we provide other forms of telehealth care in those locations, as well as what the frequency is of the uh, physical um, on-site presence of both a nurse and a provider. And so um, we, I would like to see a provider out at those locations more frequently so that the veterans that receive care, whether they receive care primarily by telehealth, uh, but they also would have an opportunity to have an annual in-person uh, visit with a provider that can uh, physically uh, touch them, as well as uh, the frequency of having a nurse, whether it's a registered nurse or an LPN uh, in the clinic. So uh, the staffing model that we're pursuing there, I think will help in those areas in particular. Um, we also uh, will continue to uh, look at what we can provide via telehealth in LaGrand um, and how we can best staff the LaGrand clinic to provide the services that veterans need. The, um, the air commission process, uh, again, I think uh, what I've heard is in reference to uh, increasing services in Tri-Cities and potentially relocating some of our specialty care from Walla Walla to Tri-Cities. Uh, I can say that it's been in our plans for years to increase services in Tri-Cities because the need is there and we're going to serve the veterans there. And uh, so we're still waiting to see the funding behind uh, the multi-specialty uh, clinic that we have proposed there. Um, it remains to be seen what will happen in Walla Walla for veterans that receive services, uh, specialty care services in Walla Walla. Just because we increase it in Tri-Cities does not necessarily mean that the demand will decrease in Walla Walla to where we won't be able to support those services anymore. Um, and I need better data um, <clears throat> and current data to see what, that, what happens with that. And so, um, you know, from a sequential point of view, there wouldn't be a, a date where we would stop services in one place and start services in a new place, right? We would start the new service, increase and expand, and then see what happens to the demand and make a decision from there. So my goal is that rather than trade a location where veterans are receiving services, we know that about 40% of our enrolled veterans aren't regularly receiving services in the VA. And if we expand the services that we offer in one place, our hope is really that more veterans will choose to get their care in the VA rather than seeking that care in the community. And that we open up more access to veterans um, so that they choose to get their care in VA because we believe that it's a higher quality care, that it's better coordinated, that we have all that information in the electronic medical record. And um, so again, I, I think the concern that services are going to leave Walla Walla, there, there are many steps between now and then and opportunities to evaluate what's the best, uh, what's the best thing to do there. When we, when we try to uh, expand a service, build a new service, 
um, build a new clinic or resize a clinic, we have to compete for those funds with other projects in other areas. So the more veterans that we have choosing to receive care in the VA rather than choosing to go to the community, that we can show that demand, that's, gonna, that's what's going to give us the, uh, the credibility to keep those services open um, and to keep them and to expand them in more locations. So uh, our goal is to expand and to give veterans the VA care that they have close to where they live. Um, there was a comment about the Air Commission being a cost-cutting measure. I can tell you that the, uh, the sets of recommendations that the VA considered to present to the Air Commission basically boiled down to three different options, and they were all the same cost. It is not a cost-saving uh, driven decision. It's a decision to provide care to more veterans where they are um, and to provide better care. So I, I'm not sure if there was another part of that that I hadn't already answered. Um, so I'll turn the time back over unless somebody has a clarification. Great. Well, thanks so much for the question, Matt. Um, we are going to, oh, uh, Ken, it looked like you wanted to weigh in. Yeah, what he uh, was just mentioned was getting more veterans away from the community providers and get them into the VA. Before the, uh, what's called care in the community, well, that's how you say it, we had choice. And choice allowed veterans to go out to a private care. And I will say that the veteran received better care through the choice program than what they're getting right now out of the community care. It is really bad, but that's all. Great. Thanks, Ken. Uh, yeah. Um, Nathan, I'm sorry. No, if please I could, take it. <laughs> I did not raise my hand, so my apologies. No. But back to, but back to, to Ken's comment. You know, Ken, we would love to, um, very interested in, in hearing what those specifics are. Um, because the VA is the coordinator of all care. If we're not, you know, personally, physically doing it, we still care and we're responsible for that. So um, if you could make sure that those, that that information gets back, filtered back up through the facility, that would be wonderful. Okay. Then we can do something with that and take that information as we have meetings all the time about quality of care and concerns that our veteran patients have with regards to some of the providers in our network. So it's not many, but when it does occur, we want to address them. So if you can well, do that. I, I would be very happy to meet with you and okay. give you the information that I have. Absolutely. Yeah. And not in a public forum. So that, that would be awesome. And I know that um, I'll make sure that we have a, some information there about how to contact me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Ken. Uh, next up, we have Brian in Hermiston. Brian, feel free to unmute if you are available. All right, Brian may have stepped away, but Brian, if, um... yeah. oh, go ahead. We got you. I don't want to be off, but I'm gonna ask a, a for, uh, the senator is 
there's a lot of talk uh, um, to proceed with the call of debt forgiveness um, when there's hundreds of veterans like myself that have a, uh, a large amount of VA debt that we're expected to pay back. And, you know, that that's a hardship on, I'm a, I'm 100% disabled, retired, retiree from the U.S. Army. And I get $500 taken out of every one of my VA checks um, on a VA repayment. Um, why are we looking at college debt forgiveness when we put in the time and, and now we have a VA debt that we have to pay back? Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about this situation of veterans having debts. And you're making a very important point. And one of the uh, questions that was raised with me, and I want to see if we can get this confirmed, uh, some folks at the Legrand Seabach staff seem to have indicated that a significant number of veterans are being sent to collections for bills that the VA hasn't paid. Now, that would just be awful if it's taking place and veterans are just going to say that that's a betrayal. And if it's taking place, veterans are going to lose their good credit. They're going to have additional problems getting enough providers willing to serve veterans. So, Mr. Kelter, this is what I've been told, and I would like you to tell me, because my understanding is Walla Walla, the AMC, is the facility where the bills are being processed. And if that's correct, what's being done to help the veterans? And I'd like to know if, a significant number of veterans are being spent sent being sent to collections for bills the VA is not paying, and I have heard that from the Legrand Seabox staff. So let's let's clear this up because that's instrumental to the gentleman's question about you know vets just getting clobbered with debt. So is is that correct? A large number of veterans are being sent to collections. Um, <clears throat> Senator, I. I can't speak to uh, what the uh, what the numbers are, but I, I think that's immaterial. I think one veteran being sent to collections uh, over a VA. Um, that's sure my view. Management uh, problem is is uh, is a big problem for me. Um, the the VA medical center uh, does not pay the bills. It's through a, a network payment center, um, and when we hear from a veteran. Uh, whether it's directly or or through your office or through somebody else, um, you know we work to get to the bottom of what that is and resolve that. And uh, you know, in uh, most cases, uh, you know, regardless of whether we find that it's a, a VA action or something that um, is the veteran's um, responsibility, we work to resolve both. The payment issue, as well as try to mitigate any uh, impact that has on uh, the veterans' uh, credit or payment or anything else. So I know I, I've seen several examples of uh, you know even when 
it's a valid bill. If it's impacting the veteran's life, uh, we've been able to uh, take some measures to uh, work with uh, the agency or the organization that the veteran has a debt to and mitigate that impact as a, an additional service to the veteran. Um, but I, I can't speak to uh, how many uh, veterans are having difficulties uh, with a debt that's related to a, uh, a payment issue. Um, when Mr. Kemp, Mr. Kelter and, and Dr. Boyd, we got to get to the bottom of this because I've been told that a large number of veterans, a significant number of veterans, are being sent to collections for bills the VA has not paid. If that's the case, that is just awful. And veterans are going to say that's a betrayal. Gentleman just called about, you know, debts that, you know, he's dealing with. And this has got to get get resolved. And for um, those who are calling with such important questions, I want everybody to know, we've got our state representative, Bobby Levy, on. We've got our county commissioner, John Schaefer, on. This is the first of three sessions, folks. We're going to get to the bottom of these um, issues. And Mr. Kelter and, and Dr. Boyd, can you get back to me next week with your best answer on whether a large number of veterans are being sent to collections for bills that the VA hadn't paid and what's going to be done about it? Can you get back to me? It's um, it's a Saturday afternoon by the end of next week. Can, can we do that? It's such an important issue. We'll make sure that we reach out because as I said, this is not from the facility. Um, Megan will take that. She's on the, on the line here and we will reach out to our payment centers. All right. Thank, thank you. You bet. You bet. Great. Thanks for the question, Brian. Um, so we have about 10 minutes left in our program. I want to get to a few of the uh, submitted questions online uh, with our remaining time. Uh, we have a question from Ted, who is a veteran uh, in uh, Wallowa County. It looks like, uh, and and Ted says um, authorizations and supplemental or secondary authorizations are being denied on the basis that we have access to a provider at the Enterprise Telehealth Clinic. Denials based on a provider being on site once a quarter, and the clinic uh, is open once per week. Mr. Kelter, Dr. Boyd. Yes, thank you for the question, Ted. Um, and we can certainly look at the uh, the specifics of uh, of any uh, denied authorizations. Again, um, if we are able to provide that that care directly, we would like to do so. If that if we are not available to provide that care, uh, then we will provide that authorization. Um, the uh, specifics might depend on whether it needs to be a face-to-face -face visit or not. I, I don't want to speculate too much on an individual uh, case at this point, but I, um, again, we are trying to increase the frequency that we will have a provider uh, out at your clinic and also increase uh, how much the clinic is open. A lot of that has been limited by uh, both COVID and staff. Um, but we intend to expand uh, in, in that area uh, based on both the, um, the reduction in COVID protocols and an increase in uh, staff that we anticipate based on changing the, the model that we're using for that. 
um, so that we'll have two people on site at all times and be able to have that clinic open, um, as well as having a, a registered nurse and a provider there more frequently. Well, thanks for the question, Ted. Did anyone else want to address? Ted? Okay. Uh, so next we have a question from uh, Robert, who is a veteran in Union County. Uh, and Robert says, um, RE, VA, Med, Walla Walla, travel payment. Why do we need to get a letterhead confirmation that we actually showed up for community care appointment when that information is already in our record? I've asked other vets in the area, in, I've asked vets in other areas, and they have never heard of this requirement. Anyone able to address the letterhead? Uh, I was going to go ahead and let Mr. Kelter do that. Um, and if he doesn't know, we will surely check into that. Um, there's things like this that if we don't know, we, you know, if if we're not, if these questions are not brought up, we don't know to, to look into it and, and find out. But I'll let Mr. Kelter respond if you have any idea about that either. That sounds like a, a process issue that we uh, definitely need to look at. And if can make sure that after this call, we have your contact information to be able to get back with you uh, and provide that directly, as well as uh, be able to discuss that at the, the next town hall. Uh, it's certainly a, a, an important question. It sounds like it would apply to, uh, to many of you yourself. So thank you for that. Great. And uh, Robert, I, I do have your email, so I will pass that along. Thank you for raising this issue. Uh, we have uh, several um Questions submitted anonymously. Uh, one is uh, if Walla Walla VAMC moves most services to Spokane, could Union County become part of the Boise? That submitted a question too. From up Enterprise. Sorry, uh, I'm just going to mute somebody. Um, uh, if. Could Union County become part of the Boise VAMC catchment area? Boise offers better services since it's a full VA medical center and Walla Walla isn't, and Boise is much closer for Union County veterans than Spokane is. Well, that's an interesting question, and actually it's those kind of questions that would that um, are important as we look at way down the road of, of what actually the, the recommendations will be. But it's an interesting thought. Um, and a lot, a lot would have to go into that. Um, so, uh, Mr. Kelter, I'd like to take that one as well and just put that in. We're always trying to find not so much innovative ways, but what meets the, um, the best interest of our, our veterans. Um, so let me take that one. And it's not, you know, we do have, have lines that, that go across state lines uh, for the market. So not an un, un, unheard of thought. So let's just put that in, into the basket of, when we get to the recommendations and what that might look like. I don't know, Mr. Kelter, if you had anything else to add. That's uh, actually uh, a completely appropriate question. I, I really like that. And, and that was one of the things that if you uh, looked at the Air Commission's recommendations, you know, many of them did have to do with what areas geographically were aligned to which VA medical centers. Um, the the only point I would want to make is that the only service from Walla Walla that was recommended to shift to Spokane was the residential rehabilitation treatment program. Um, none of the other services currently at Walla Walla 
are recommended to uh, to move to Spokane. So um, that may affect your individual or or maybe the uh, decision for that area um, in terms of what services you would uh, access where. But uh, but there's no indication, uh, and, and we haven't made any plans of shifting any uh, types of care to Spokane other than the uh, the recommendation to stand up a residential rehabilitation treatment program in Spokane, and then uh, to further evaluate whether uh, that would mean that one is no longer needed in Walla Walla or whether one might still be needed in Walla Walla. Terrific. Well, thanks for the question. Again, that was anonymously submitted. Uh, we have another anonymously submitted question from Umatilla County. Uh, and this person says, will there be cuts with mental health services? It seems that mental health is substantially less readily available than all other health care. And now to hear there may be cuts leads to concerns for a resource that is already hard to come by. No, there aren't any plans in uh, either our internal uh, discussions or the Air Commission or anywhere else that I've seen uh, to cut any mental health services. In fact, our mental health services from primary um, from primary type um, mental health services, behavioral health services to homeless services uh, have only continued to expand um, and to grow over the years. Uh, there is not any uh, intent or indication that that direction will reverse. Great. And we have time for one more question. Uh, and um, I apologize if I am uh, mispronouncing the acronym here. Uh, it is about CPAP machines. And this is from uh, LaGrand County, or sorry, from LaGrand. Um, CPAP machines, all, all CPAPs given out by the VA have been recalled due to malfunction. At last communication receives, there are no plans to replace those machines. LaGrand staff have apparently been told to instruct veterans, keep using your old machine. What is the timeline for new CPAPs? Sheesh. I can take a stab at that one. Um, and, and again, it would be great to understand. I don't know um, the specifics about the, the individual. Of course, it, it was anonymous. And yes, um, like many things, um, VA stays on the top of any recalls that occur with any purchased um, or contracted equipment or any other supplies that we use. And so there is a very structured um, recoupment process for this through our, um, there's like a central area that, that will get new, uh, and there's CPAP. It's, it's a breathing machine that people many times use um, at nighttime because of some breathing um, irregularities. And so that's another one. I know it's anonymous, but we would like to, I don't know if Chris said that was out at your facility. So I don't know if that's your understanding out there or not, but if it is, we need to fully understand. There you go. Linda has it right there. So she put it in the chat. So um, it's a great question, but again, how we get this communication out to folks and what the right process is. Terrific. Well, we have um, so many uh, questions, and I think the the volume of, of interest indicates how important this town hall meeting has been. Uh, as, as Senator Wyden has mentioned, uh, two more 
are planned uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, so if we did not get to your question, hopefully uh, these can be addressed in a future town hall, or certainly feel free to reach out to uh, the appropriate body or, or Senator Wyden staff in the meantime, if it is an urgent issue. Uh, thank you to everyone who uh, joined us here live on the on the call and uh, watched on Facebook Live. Uh, Senator Wyden, did you have some closing remarks you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I, and I'm going to be brief. Um, apropos of that last point, Dr. Boyd, Mr. Kelter, you know, I believe the gentleman who was talking about the breathing machines, this is literally a life and death question for those who need them. So can you and Mr. Kelter get me an answer by next Friday as well. So we've got the debt collections and the breathing machines because of the time sensitivity, people really suffering if we don't get those resolved. Can you get me a, a report on how those issues, the second issue will be dealt with again in a week? So we can absolutely do that, Senator. There has been a well, very well prescribed process for this and perhaps it's possible that the information has not, you know, gotten down into the specific areas. So absolutely, we get that information. Good, Good. thank you. Um, also, apropos of one of the last questions, and always you just kind of go through some of the very good points that have been made on the mental health front. Senator Mike Crapo, I'm the uh, chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. Senator Crapo is the senior Republican. We're working in a bipartisan way to expand mental health services, and it's particularly important for rural Oregon, where we have such a large uh, elderly uh, population and certainly a lot of older veterans. Now, with respect to where we are, I'm just going to take um, a couple of minutes to describe kind of where we are and what will happen next. First, some thank yous. Uh, first, to all the veterans, their loved ones, and their advocates for the thoughtful comments you made. There's not been a bad comment in the House, number one. Number two, a thank you to Dr. Boyd and Mr. Kelter. Uh, Dr. Boyd, when I first called her, I said, I'd really like to have kind of three meetings. I sort of held my breath and all the rest. And Dr. Boyd said, that's what we're going to do. So this is the first of three. And we will have two more. And the idea is we'll do it just like this. We'll hear from the veterans. And then I want to thank uh, Nathan uh, and Nathan Williams at People's Town Hall. They run good town hall meetings. And what I really appreciate is we've been at it for 90 minutes. And I didn't hear a single person say the Democrats this or the Republicans said that. This is about veterans, veterans, veterans. And it's about finding common ground and figuring out a way to tackle some of these issues. So I've learned a lot. Hope everybody else has learned a lot and the VA folks as well. And here's the bottom line for me as we go to the next two meetings. Rural Oregon has a very large percentage of older veterans. And I just feel very strongly that government at all levels, all levels, has a duty to go the extra mile for veterans, not make veterans go extra miles for the health care that they have earned with their service. So uh, we're going to be focused as we go to the second and third uh, meetings and working together to make sure that rural veterans throughout Oregon 
get the quality care they deserve in a timely and convenient and reliable manner. And as I said in the grand <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago at the town hall meeting uh, I was at at the paper, you know, Legrand is a long way from Washington, D.C., 3,000 miles plus. And I just see this as my job and the job of those in positions of authority. And we are glad to have Mr. Williams in People's Town Hall. <clears throat> it's our job to shorten that distance, shorten the distance so that we can take advantage of modern technologies. We've all been talking about it. And I wrote a number of those laws to make that possible. But we recognize that we also need the direct services. That's what the veterans are making that point on. We need the direct touch. And we heard from a couple of family members who said it much more eloquently than a public official can. They talked about what it's like for them as they try to juggle everything through the day, knowing that an older parent, for example, will not have uh, the ability to use all these technologies. So um, we're going to go forward. This is in the to-be-continued department. I want to thank everybody again for the way this meeting was conducted. I thought it would be a good meeting. Uh, I think we've exceeded expectations. We've got a lot of work to do. As you could tell, there were some things like debt collections and breathing machines that I asked Dr. Boyd and Mr. Kelter for us. We've got to get some answers in the next week. We're going to do that. And uh, thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of Saturday, and we will be uh, for purposes of the second and third meeting, we'll be making an announcement very quickly about those taking place. Thanks, everybody. 